I'm confused a little bit because now I realize I have to, this is like re reading the Torah. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Well, you know, from, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and it goes like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of like reading uh, Japanese as yeah, well. Yeah, well. Yeah, that was that was always something I had to get used to when I read the, the Torah. Um, oh, hey, I already started. Uh, actually, oh. let me lower the level just a little bit here because uh, my my laughter is a little bit loud, but I think our voices will carry. All right, um, welcome to a very special Wages of Cinema episode. Uh, thank you for listening. I am Jack, and as always with me is wife. We duties, Corey. Yes. Does that mean that I'm husband duties, Jack? You perform your husbandly duties quite well. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> let's keep that PG. I, I appreciate you putting that in while, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, the voice of the other person that you just heard. Um, Motherly duties flying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so for the first time, uh, I decided to have on uh, my mother on the show. Uh, thank you for being a guest. Oh, uh, wow. for coming on. I can't believe I got an invitation. Well, I, I see the re one of the reasons I wanted to do this, and I was thinking about this for a while, is if there's someone I know who sees as many movies, if not more movies than I do, it's you. And I think in the past year or so, since when we had Movie Pass, I think you and I were kind of responsible single-handedly for putting them out of business oh yeah i take i take the blame for making I, them bankrupt i mean you you saw some you saw some of the movies from them that i i didn't even i didn't even use my movie pass sometimes I, the way you did i wasted many hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you uh, I, sh I don't know if i should even put this on the air if it's embarrassing i'll I edit have, it out i, I mean to... you you saw i think you used your movie pass to see Gotti. <laughs> oh, oh! I'm sorry. You just had like the most embarrassed face. Gotti was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. If not the worst. <laughs> and I just, I, what I was really wishing is that after I saw it the first time, that I could go back with maybe just the two of you, and we'd be the only three in the theater, and we could do a whole room. Um, you know, riff, riff tracks. Oh, yeah, 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 like like The Room. Right. Yeah, when we saw that. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, it, but again, I one, the, the reasoning I had, too, was just thinking, like, I like talking about movies with you, and I think we usually have, you know, good conversations about that, so why not get it on mic? And well, I'm not, I mean, with Corey, it's actually a goal in her life to see, like, the worst movies. That's true. Yeah, and if you... It's it true. It's funny, a lot of our episodes from the past year since Corey's become co-host, it's been uh, uh, a lot of movies that would probably be on our worst list. Uh, you know, like, things like Acrimony and, uh, and Life Itself. I don't plan it the way you do. It just it happens to me. <laughs> you're a victim of circumstance. Right. You're you're like yeah you're a victim of a crime. You need to you find Ralph Nader after some of these <laughs> these movies. Lodge a complaint. There yeah there should be something like that. Yeah, but but today we're not talking about the the worst movies. I mean we could maybe have a podcast about that if we wanted to, but I feel like we've kind of dwelled on a lot of those. Yeah. Um. Like so, I can tell you, for example, like a, a couple movies you won't hear on this episode, 
You won't hear us talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> oh, I was actually, that was the one I was really sort of hoping for. <laughs> you thought maybe I'd made a turnaround since I no, talked no, about it. No, I just, I didn't know if we were just talking about the past year generally in film. Hmm. I didn't know that we were doing a best of. Yeah. So I actually had in my mind all the horrible things I wanted to say about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your instincts, but we're thinking positive today. All right. Yeah, we're okay. trying to think a little more positive. And uh, so Corey and I made we 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 made some lists. Um, maybe near the end, we'll list some uh, honorable mentions yes. that maybe didn't make the cut. And I thought as we go along, you know, if you know you you have thoughts and feelings, you know, you should chime in. And you know, we'll... I'm, I'm human. <laughs> As far as I know, if we prick you, do you not bleed? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, so yeah, well, I thought we'd start. Uh, now, a number of these are going to overlap. Um, and uh, so obviously when we do those, we'll just talk about the once and then move along. And Yeah, so of our top ten list, both of us, Five movies are on both of our top ten lists. Exactly. Because great minds. Great minds think alike. And also, um, you oh, just like see a lot more movies than like the game. <laughs> <laughs> We're a few years behind on that. Yes. Okay, all of your older listeners will get... Yeah, I think, uh, I think Newlywed Game is actually before my time. They rebooted it, though, actually. I watched it when I was, <laughs> was a kid. Was it not a good show? No, it's terrible. I watched the reboot when I was a kid. Wow. So, do you want to take a minute and brag, though, that there is not a single movie that I saw in the movie theater this entire year that you did not see? That's... True. I suppose so, yeah. I mean, I don't count, like, Lifetime movies. Yeah. There are probably some things like Daughter Dead at 17 or something <laughs> that I didn't see. Even though the Lifetime crop was mostly terrible in 2018. Yeah. But, but I mean, they're different. I originally thought at first, actually, of, like, should we talk about these in categories? Like, talk about the movies that had to deal with, uh, you know, race, and then deal with fa movies about family and things like that. But eh, I just got boring, and I thought... Let's like just do the countdown. Yeah. So we're going to count down <laughs> from 10 to 1. Yes. Now... If a movie is on both of our lists, we're going to talk about it when it comes up first. So yep. hypothetically, if one of us ranked a movie at number 10 and the other person ranked it at number 7, we'll talk about it at number mm -hmm. 10. Yeah, and at the and at the end of the, of the day, too. If, I'm confused. <laughs> I think you'll catch on I'll pretty catch quick. On. Okay. Uh, it's, it's not, who's on first, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> um and obviously and near the and if you think of any movies that we haven't talked about you know bring them up when you know okay maybe I, you saw some things that i didn't see very possibly oh yeah very because you go to the montclair theater and see all the the art house stuff that in this past year i, I was i kind of fell off some of those um but yeah let's start Corey. what's your number 10 Okay, this was a battle royale until the very last minute. I did not decide until last night at around 9 o'clock at night whether my number 10 movie would be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or Black Panther. 
it was a battle between my heart and my head mm. because I found Black Panther more kind of intellectually stimulating. And I loved the kind of all the political science of the Killmonger character. But Spider-Man, um, the characters engaged me more emotionally. Mm. So it was a battle of heart versus Spider-verse. head. Spider-verse. Yes. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm sorry. I... No, no, no. Yeah. That's fine. And because I am a sentimental person at heart, I decided to go with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as my number 10 movie of mm. the year. I gotta get pants. Wait, why is the voice in my head so loud? Oh, are you okay? I'm Mouse. I'm Gwanda. Wait, your name is Gwanda? Yes, it's African. I'm South African. Uh, no accent though, cause I was raised here. Hey. Okay, then, uh, I'll see you around. See you. Hey! Um... Ow, ow, ow! Calm let down! Go. It's fine, just... Oh! Ah! Miles, let go! Been on it? It's just puberty. I don't think you know what puberty is. Just relax. Okay, I have a plan. Right. I'm going to pull really hard. That's a terrible plan. One. Don't do this. Two. Three. I love this movie. It's visually spectacular. It has tons of heart. It's hilarious. It'll make you, but it'll also make you cry. Yeah. It is dramatically satisfying. Mm -hmm. It's laugh out loud funny. Well, and yeah, it's it's beautiful and yeah. perfect, and I love it. Yeah, and this is the first one that's on both of our lists because this was my number nine, um, and it was pretty easily there uh, after the first time I saw it and. Uh, and if uh, if you want to actually listen to an even longer in-depth and very kind of frankly nerdy discussion, uh, you can go back a few episodes where we reviewed it with uh, mm. guest star Matt Catania. Um, yeah, the, that that movie just visually speaking is so innovative. Uh, the way that they they used a process for that movie to make it look like an actual old type comic book. Like if you look close oh, enough, it I has remember. all the. the <laughs> <laughs> you confused it with the other animated Spider-Man movie. No, no, actually, as you're talking about it, I remember that when I first got to the theater. First of all, I didn't realize that I was going to, for 3D. Mm, yeah. But I got so, and like the first half hour, I was struggling with that. That I had to sit there with the glasses. Yeah. But then by the end of the movie, I walked out of the theater still with the 3D glasses on because I forgot that I had been watching yeah. the animation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I forgot that too. Because you, you watch it and you think to yourself, it's it's shot more like a regular movie in a lot of ways. The way that they even have characters in a scene, they're they're separated as if they're just shooting it and people sometimes are out of focus. And I, we saw it in 2D, and I actually had the problem at first thinking, is this supposed to be in 3D? Well, I, yeah, in your podcast, yeah. that, that you had mentioned that, and I thought to myself, this is the one movie that should be seen in 3D. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of feel bad because I, I ended up seeing it a second time, and I just, I saw it in 2D just because it was convenient time wise. But yeah, if I could have had the chance, I would have told people, yeah, go see this in 3D. It's, total ride especially in that climax when they're in that collider thing 
Yeah. With the uh, Kingpin character. That I was constantly seeing things in that film that felt so unique to me. And I kept thinking, like, I know I've heard so many Spider-Man stories over the years, mm-hmm. but I kept feeling like, oh, man, this is breaking new ground. And the final scene where they talk about where, like, they're reflecting on the idea of Spider-Man and all these different universes... And how they'll never be alone. Yeah, it's a very I'm touching like, scene. I'm getting teary-eyed just talking about it. Uh, yeah. There was, as much as I like Black Panther, there was nothing that quite came to that emotional level. Maybe there are a couple of scenes with Michael B. Jordan that almost came close. But yes, but this Spider-Man movie felt like this was a movie about being Spider-Man. And yeah. just like what it means to be a superhero. Plus it was just really funny. It was All the so different funny. spider people characters, the spider pig. Oh, I loved it, yeah. Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, did you recognize that that was Nicolas Cage? No. No, oh, okay. Well, it's yeah. the best acting he's done in like 20 years. As long as he didn't have to um, gain any weight for the part, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I have a, a problem with him with that. <laughs> Did he? Oh, was he one of those actors that doesn't gain weight for a part? He refuses to change the percentage of body fat in his body. Wow, to, I didn't to know do, that. Take a part. Huh? Wow, that's news to me. He's the anti-bail. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he he very he does not have a, an eating disorder, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, both very big fans of Spider Man okay. uh, so, Spider Verse. Okay. And I, I gave that a check mark. Yeah, so I liked it. You approved. <laughs> That's good. Mine so, my, my number ten, we should go back and forth, I think, yes. if that works. Yes. My number ten is the favorite. Um this is actually this is up for a lot of Oscars. Uh and we'll see how it does. Uh to me, and I think this is on your list too. This, the favorite was number seven on my list. Yeah, number seven. Dearest Queen, you are mad, giving me a palace. It is a monstrous extravagance, Mrs. Molly. We are at war. We won. Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh. Oh, I did not know that. The Queen is an extraordinary person. They were all staring, weren't they? I can tell even if I can't see. And I heard the word fat. Fat. Ah. And ugly. No one but me would dare, and I did not. I was, at first, uh, this was almost going to, this was coming off and on on my list. Almost Black Panther, not Black Panther, Black Klansman almost was number 10. But then I realized, no, the favorite is just, it just has that extra little something that makes it on my list. I'm Uh, a little less excited, but. Okay, that's fine. Um, but I liked it. I mean, it was it was fine. <laughs> that's that's fun. That's a good review. Um, no, no, no. I'm not. No, let's let me talk about it though for a second because the favorite. What I enjoyed about it is, you had certain movies this year like Vice that tried to very directly comment upon like current political things going on in the world. But I feel like the favorite actually got even closer than even something like Vice did or some of the other movies because of the power dynamic that's there in the story. Um, you know, with the favorite you have, well, I'm, I'm trying to get to that. All right. So you have Queen Anne played by Olivia Coleman. She's, you know, extremely irascible. She's 
very demanding. She's very, at times, very lazy. I saw Trump in her. Yeah, and what I'm getting to is I, I kind of saw... depressed. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she could be depressed. She also seemed a little, like, had maybe, like, early-onset dementia in some ways. And I saw the two sides. Uh, Rachel Weiss is, um, you know, her advisor, and then Emma Stone is a cousin, I think, and she comes in to try to get a job at the palace. A cousin of Rachel Weiss. Is she a cousin? I thought she was a cousin of the Queen. No. Oh, I misremember. Do you remember that, Corey? I think she was the cousin of Rachel Weiss, too. All right. So. Uh, we went... <laughs> But I'm not sure. I really don't remember. <laughs> if anyone wants to correct... Uh... See how see how well we remember these movies that we love enough <laughs> to put them in our top ten of the earliest? No, I know she was a cousin. I just forgot if she was, like, Rachel Weisz's cousin. Or maybe... Because I thought that she had some type of, connect, like, in to that be That was in her palace. in, was through Rachel Weisz. Yeah, oh, I think, it, I think okay. she was Rachel Weisz's cousin. All right. I, I no. think. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll, the point is, she gets a job there. And to me, I... This year when I read I read Fire and Fury and it almost felt like the two sides were Bannon versus Jared and Ivanka, but being played <laughs> out in like seventeenth or eighteenth century, you know, intrigue. Wow. I, I saw a lot of that going on. Yeah, I, did not, I did not quite get you know. that, but yeah. and you know, it's just a very sharp, very at times funny, but often very just you know, it's always great to see a good satire that can make its points in a way that feels kind of timeless as well. Because I'm making the Trump, the Trump connection, but I feel like the favorite can you can apply that to a lot of different political scenarios and you know just how these three women are at each other's throats, but sometimes playing these very duplicitous games. That movie would not have worked at all without, it seems like it had to be those three specific actresses. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. She, you needed those three types of, of personalities and especially Olivia Coleman as, uh, as Queen Anne, uh, helping to give, context to the road that I always have lived nearby as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Never even crossed my mind. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Queen Anne Road. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, what are you, you going to say, Corey? Well, I just, I love this movie for the complexity of the relationships between the characters. I love that it's a movie with a lot of meaty dialogue to sink your teeth into. I think it is really the best deconstruction of the aristocracy I've basically ever seen. Mm. I didn't know how much I needed to see, like, duck racing in my life. Yes, duck racing. Um, I think what's, you know, what's funny, this is this has doesn't, nothing to do with, like, necessarily why this is on my list. But um, I, think, I think there was a scene in the movie where somebody was, like, in, like, a... Uh, and they, to show humiliation, someone's throwing like oranges at somebody's ass. Yeah. And there's uh, an oft repeated, it's almost like a running gag on the Gilbert Gottfried podcast where he brings up that there's this long running rumor that Cesar Romero liked to have like his boy toys do that to him. Whoa. Oh. Like throwing like orange wedges at his ass. Well, it's just wedges. It's <laughs> 
you're talking about the entire arm. Yeah. Then we're looking more at what goes to my mind. It was what was that movie? Uh, oh, the one where they get the grifters now. Um, the grifters? I guess. <laughs> I felt was like there the fruit, was there a fruit scene in that? Remember when the 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 top guy or something? He that's how he he would beat people with a bag full of oranges. Uh no, I don't remember that. Wow. That's, I saw that movie a long time ago. I don't remember okay, that at well, all. Okay, well, everybody look um, out for that movie and that, those scenes. With okay, the yes. And, yeah, and I'm, and, and yeah, but yeah, Gilbert Coffrey was very pleased <laughs> when he heard that. But my point is, I also liked how this movie was shot. It had kind of a unique look to it. It felt like you were witnessing, the, the like, these palaces, and it was shot in a way that was... Lots of like wide angle lenses, and so it it didn't look like other costume dramas or anything. And I almost feel bad because there was this other movie that came out the exact same time called Mary Queen of Scots. I didn't see it. Yeah, I yeah. didn't see it either because somebody made the somebody made the review and said this this is like if somebody put out Airplane and put out Airport at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, like, have, I have no desire to see it because I feel like back in the 70s, there were enough movies with this subject matter. Right, yeah. So, you know, pretty much I'm done with that. I think the way that you make this whole thing, like a movie like The Favorite Fresh, is to have a sense of humor about it. I agree. Yes. You know, to make it also darkly humorous. I also told Corey that the very end of the movie, of all things, I actually think of Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Because the movie ends on this series of shots where Emma Stone at the end is there with, like, the queen. And I forget what she's doing. She's just, like, combing her hair or rubbing her body or something. And all of a sudden, there are these, like, superimposed shots of rabbits. And they superimpose some one other shot. And I swear, that's basically how Apocalypse Now ends. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I never loved, would have thought of it. I absolutely loved the final scene of this movie. Yeah, because it's, it's number seven. It, it ends list. very uh, yeah. So it's number seven on Corey's list, number ten on my list, okay. and uh, yeah, I, I like. I thought this movie was fantastic. The director of The Lobster, as well. Yes. So another and good one. That was him. a great movie. We yeah. both loved we, The Lobster, and then even though we totally disagree. Yes, we totally disagree on how we interpret the end of The Lobster. We both loved it. I was left kind of cold by Killing of a Sacred Deer. So yeah, I look at this as kind I'm... of a return to form. Yeah, yeah, that was a little bit of a stumble for him. Uh, but this, I actually was really engaged. And uh, I actually recommended it to a history professor that I work with. He hadn't heard about it at all. So I felt like I did my job there. Um, what's your number nine, Court? All right. Well, finally, we're giving the people a little variation because your number 10 and my number 10 were like yeah. overlap but my number nine is not on your list so my number nine movie is can you ever forgive me nobody is going to pay for the writer lee israel right now i'm months behind in my rent and my cat is sick it's four in the afternoon and you're drunk i'm hardly drunk great no problem my suggestion to you is you go out there and you find another way to make a living recently found this delightful sign letter. 
Fanny Bryce, one of my favorites. I could give you 75. Oh. I could give more for better content. It's a bit bland is all. Mm -hmm. And this is a, I would say this is an honorable mention for me. I, I like this movie a lot. <clears throat> I love this movie. I, when I watch it, I think of what a crying tragedy it is that Melissa McCarthy makes mostly garbage because mm -hmm. she's so talented. And I feel like this movie just did such a good job. Um, kind of, it was such a good character study and it was such a good. The other thing I found interesting about it was, even though it's not set that far in the past, mm. doesn't it feel like it took place like 80 years ago? Well, it's right on the cusp of the Giuliani era beginning in New York City. It's also, it was also the beginning of AIDS, and so it feels like it's in the past because right. AIDS right. Yeah. sort of fell off the, I mean, it's just, yeah. even though it's still a, pro a problem and terrible, but it's there. It was before they had a cure. Before back when, any, yeah, back when you know, when I was a kid and AIDS was, you know, the big deal that it was. It was because it was the incurable virus. Yeah, when you and Jerry were born, actually, the two wishes that I had had, that I only had two concerns, okay. is that you would grow up and not get AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> really? And that you would grow up and not become insurance agents. <laughs> <laughs> and those were really those were my two wishes oh, I'm, I'm sorry Jerry for my if you're listening to this for my children I didn't say it okay for the record I didn't say that but it's funny well I guess you must have had that thought later because I think Jerry was born before AIDS was a big deal I guess you yeah. thought this when we were kids I guess yeah okay yeah those were my two wishes okay well but yeah uh, so it's succeed on one it's camera. something that also shows like how dramatically the culture of New York City has changed. Because, I mean, mm. this movie takes place in a time when you and I were alive, but it really feels like something... You, you mean back when you had, like, bookstores? <laughs> and well, could... I don't remember the 50s. I mean, I was alive in the 50s, but yeah, I have but... no recollection mm -hmm. of it. Well, it's also a, it's a, it's a certain kind of New York. It's the, you know, it's the Upper West Side. It's that world where, you know, like, somebody has a a cocktail party for literary people. And, and we're going to actually talk a little later about another movie that kind of has that in common. Yeah. Um, so but, I have a very literary list, but I, yeah. And yeah, for those who don't know the story though, uh, Melissa McCarthy plays Lee Israel. Uh, she was kind of a struggling uh, author and she decided to start uh, forging letters. Like, oh, for famous people. people. If they're going to be spoiler alerts in this? This, this isn't a spoiler. It's the premise of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say what happened that's, to her. To me, that's spoiler. I feel like actually mentioning AIDS was a little more of a spoiler <laughs> for this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Physician heal thyself. Yeah. That's I, like the final scene of the movie. Oh, no. I'm sorry. It's okay. I... 
You don't have to worry about it. I think they were real people, too, so I think it's a little different when that happens. Okay, let me um, just drop that down. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't. To ask about spoilers while you're spoiling. Yes. Um, I, but, yeah, to your point, though, about Melissa McCarthy, though, she was in another movie this year that I... I didn't even use Movie Pass to see <laughs> that Life of the Party. Did you see that? Where she that, she that, it was basically I, I did see that. it was the remake of Back to School. Oh, that was that was terrible. <laughs> that, that was so bad. That was so bad that when we went up to Cape Cod on vacation, I I could have just gone to see that because I had this whole thing like I'm gonna go see a Movie Pass movie every day, and going on vacation ruined that. And part of it was because. I just I can't do it. That was a terrible movie. Yeah, that would go on my one of my worst lists. Not a terrible waste of her talent and. Yeah, well, it's but it's nothing new for her. She's been doing these kind of movies. For and it a, wasn't a funny. Yeah, and especially like I said, that premise already exists. It's back to school with your kid. Yeah, and yeah. you 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 can't if you're gonna try to be in the same league as Back to School, you better be making like the best comedy like of all time. Um, but yeah, this movie just goes to show that you don't need tons of bells and whistles. All you need is like well-written characters, yeah. strong acting. Every movie doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a two hundred million dollar yeah. like. Well, it helped that it was based on a true story. Yeah. Well, it helped it, that it was based on a true story. And what's interesting too, when you think about it, this this and Green Book are kind of similar in the sense of based on a true friendship type stories because you had <laughs> Melissa McCarthy and Richard Grant. It's really, yeah, they're, they're the backbone of that movie. Except Green Book sucked. Yeah. Well, yeah. Green Book was pretty flawed. Um, whereas this though, you really believe their friendship and you yeah. really believe them as characters. And I, I love Richard Grant in this movie too. I am so grateful that neither of you have Green Book on your list. Well, I didn't even see that. Spo- that's another spoiler. <laughs> You didn't know. <laughs> I, no, I didn't. I didn't know ahead of time that you didn't have it on your list. One of the reasons for that is I did not know you were going to come in here with lists. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I would have really. I, you probably would kick us out if one of us had that on our list. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not reviewing Green Book on this episode. I should mention too. I loved this director's prior movie too, Diary of a Teenage Girl. Yes, I loved that movie too. I'm not sure if you saw that one. No, Maybe not. I don't so think good. So. so I actually don't remember the name of the person who it's directed Marielle the movie. It's Marielle Heller. Well, she's awesome. Yeah, she's really talented, and yeah, it's also a nice, uh, really good cat actor. Amazing in this movie. cat actor. Yeah, they, they're like Melissa McCarthy's character has a cat. And just some of the reaction shots they get from her, it's like, I don't know what they did, but... Should I talk about the death of the cat? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're acting like you just caught yourself saying that. No, that really is a spoiler. You like to be bad. You're being bad. We're going to have to make you sit in the corner. (laughs) I think I get so many free passes for my age. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So that was Can You Ever Forgive Me? 
Um, like I said, it's not on my list, but I do like this movie a lot. So, <laughs> all right. My number, well, I already did number nine. Your number nine was Spider-Man, so do you want to go to your number eight? Well, actually, you should go to your number eight, because we're going to have a similar movie to talk about. Okay. Well, my number eight was Widows, which is your number seven. You have no idea, do you? Or did you choose not to know? Your husband stole $2 million from me. This is about my life. This is about my life. And because it's about my life, it now becomes about yours. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, Widows is... Uh, I... This was one of those movies that when I first saw it, I think I had a bit of an overreaction. Sometimes sometimes I'll see a movie and it will it'll work on my emotions almost to the point where when I'm done with it, I'll say, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've seen ever. So you were easily and manipulated. <laughs> I was a little easily manipulated by it. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it just it hit a lot of boxes for me though. It's I I love a good heist movie, um, and this has a really terrific heist. Do we talk um, about the elephant in the room of Widows? Oh oh him yeah well it's kind of ironic considering uh, his role in this too. <laughs> yeah Liam Neeson uh, he he kicks the story off because he supposedly he and these other guys die and then. The widows of the title kind of come together to to pull a heist so that uh, Viola Davis can pay off uh, a debt that Liam Neeson had. I don't know. I mean, do is you this think up for an award for any? It category? got snubbed. Really? Yeah, Terrible. which is crazy. Like, I love this movie. Me too. I saw this movie twice. I did too. Yeah, I, I saw it twice. And um, well, why don't you tell? I'll talk a bit why it's on your list though. All right. The reason why I put Widows on my list is because I think this movie did an amazing job of making the heist appropriately complex, but not convoluted. I was equally invested in every single character. So it's a large ensemble drama where you're equally invested in every member of the ensemble. I... Um, Obviously, Viola Davis is a god who walks among us, so I'm a sap for, like, anything that Viola Davis mm -hmm. is in. I worship her. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was expertly constructed from a plot perspective. It was brilliantly acted. Yeah, great ensemble. You and... know, it's, it's one of these movies where... Uh, Robert Duvall pops up, and he just has a couple of scenes. That would be really good. Yeah. Yeah, he, he plays Colin Farrell's father. As and... much as I don't like him on a personal basis, is it, well, I don't really know him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. You know, I, I actually do, and I, forgive me for this, but an actor's politics mm -hmm. play very strongly on whether or not I can abide seeing them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, but, but with that in mind, like, do you think that if you watch this again, you would have a problem uh, with seeing Liam Neeson? Yes. Really? Oh. I don't know. I mean, I... Well, that whole thing was... It was pretty bad. It was... But... I'm pretty know. good at blocking that stuff out. I don't think it would bother me. Why don't we, why don't we talk about John Wayne, then? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, I... 
Well, I don't know. What, what... See, why, why I think Liam Neeson's a little different than John Wayne is, like, the Liam Neeson thing happened, like, 40 years ago, and I could try to have some leeway and think maybe he changed. Well, he's Liam Neeson, let's face it. <laughs> you, you'll let his... He because, was Schindler. <laughs> yeah. John Wayne was never Schindler. Right. Yeah. Like, the people I've seen who are trying to defend John Wayne are like, well, he was in some John Ford movies that were anti-racist. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, nah. John, John, t- here, here's an official notice, folks. John Wayne was overrated. Yay. Wages of cinema. That's what I would call him. Overrated. Okay. Yeah. But so, no, I don't think I'd have a problem watching. Because he's not that he's not a big part of this movie anyway. Yeah. Um he's well again, talk yeah, about that's true. I, yeah, he was not really that. He well does anymore. serve a pretty important purpose. It could but have been in, any it could have been any of those Irish actors that we have yeah, I mean, talk about. Uh, who's, who's the one with the uh He has some good scenes in this yeah, he's oh, the one from the lobster. Who's that? Oh, guy? Colin Farrell. Could yeah. he could he could have done that part. Uh, I actually like Colin Farrell in this role though. I think he does a good job as this In what role? In in Widows. No, Colin Farrell. Oh, he was oh that's right, he was in that too. <laughs> He was the son. I just mentioned him. He was the son. Yeah, of, uh, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. Yeah, he's the one who's the running for alderman. And I, you know what I did have the only problem I have with him in almost every movie is that you always sense the Irish accents a little bit. He can't quite pull off. Any Maybe in a couple of moments without. I noticed it. It wasn't that bad, but I, I, I point taken. Yeah, that's like when uh, that that there was that show The Wire, and you find out that. Almost the entire cast was British. <laughs> <laughs> they, but they got away with they, it. They kind of did get away with it. Um, but no, I really feel like this got snubbed. Like this yeah, could have gotten right. this could have gotten the best supporting actress nomination for uh oh, I'm blanking on her name, the the tall one. Elizabeth Debicki. Elizabeth Debicki, yeah. She's the one who I, I liked her performance a lot. Like she had a really good arc, I felt. Um Well, she's the one who's kind of liberated when her husband or fiance died. Yeah, she's the one that immediately starts dating. I loved her mother in this. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jack, Jackie, Jackie Weaver. Weaver has a fantastic. It's not a large role, but she Jackie Weaver is fantastic in this movie. Yeah. And I feel like this movie did such a good job of balancing its many characters. And I felt like every character had an arc too. Every character took a journey. And it's hard. Well, the mother didn't. <laughs> no, yeah. The movie kind of forgot that. about her. Yeah, which is fine, though. Um, oh, awesome. oh, I need to make a mention, talking about animal actors. I don't know the dog's name, but there, Viola Davis has a dog in the movie. Oh, the dog and she brings everywhere. Yeah. The dog she brings everywhere and who actually does serve a plot purpose. Like, the yeah. dog actually helps to uncover, like, the third act reveal. But also this dog, we we love this dog here at the Wages of Cinema because the dog also was in the movie Game Night, which came out early this year. Jesse Plemons, his character has who this dog. Got, who not only should have been nominated for an Oscar, Jesse Plemons should win the Best Supporting Actor Oscar <laughs> that he wasn't even nominated for. Jesse Plemons You gave, thought he was snubbed? Jesse Plemons gave by far the best supporting actor performance this entire year. Like, I don't, it's not I don't even know close what, to what role he was. He, he was the one in he Game Night. He played the cop. Yeah, he night. was the one who was the oh, neighbor. Oh, oh, yeah, he was good. Yeah, he was the one who, like, 
he he's there like asking questions right. about so you have three bags of chips? Well, he's <laughs> the one who wants to become friends. Yes. With and he is so amazing in this movie that Yeah, I mean I didn't love Game Night, but I did love him. Like he was if they if the Academy did a, pay attention more to comedic performances, maybe he could have had yeah. Some type Unfortunately, of there are a bunch of snobs who never nominate comedies, but yeah, yeah, that's it's really a shame that they don't because a lot of comedies have really good acting. In fact, Jesse Plemons gave I don't know, probably the best performance I saw all year like period. <laughs> but <laughs> it wow. was just that good. Yeah, screw you, Ethan Hawk. Get out of here. <laughs> um, okay. but no, I love Widows and again, like I said, great heist movie. Uh, great political commentary movie. Oh yes, you know it just. Uh, oh, and oh, and Daniel Kaluuya. He was snub. He was snub too. He was the, uh, the the sort of henchman who kept on following them around, and yeah, obviously from Get Out. Um, so now my number eight, which this is going to make things a little awkward because yeah. this is your number one of the year. So we're kind of jumping ahead here. Um, is this? Oh, oh, oh this. hey, hey, I, I would like to get out. Look at this. I'm better one in the glove, though. Yeah. I, I ain't trying to go back to jail. Two hundred dollars. Let me Collins. Out. Not Collins' gun. Very nice. Oh, I just got an Uber pickup. <laughs> you got it. Is this an Uber? Oh, my, my mom is saying. What, what did you I, just say? I was thinking about it all night. That what is my number one? And is it this? Blind spotting. Yeah. Oh. So this is a little anticlimactic that your number eight movie of the year is our number one movie of the year. So you can talk about why it's your number eight, and then I'll talk about why it's my number one. Oh you boy. You had a problem when they brought the animals. That was when you had. You would not think you. I think this the would animals? have been higher on your list if they didn't come in with the whole animal thing. I don't remember that. What are you talking about? In then blind spotting? Yeah, no, no, um, no, I, I, no, I love this movie. I think this was severely under, um, underplayed in theaters. Like this, this played for maybe just a week or two, and only on like five hundred screens. Um, I think if I, it's if it's if, why it's a little bit lower than some of the other movies. Uh, Wait a second, this is I'm thinking of a different movie. Yeah, I figured. What were you thinking about? I'm thinking of the one. Oh, I know what I'm thinking. I'm sorry to bother you. Oh, oh, yeah, no, that I didn't make I decided that was my number one. Really? Sorry to bother you? Is your number one? Uh, spoilers, guys. Um, no, that, 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 I didn't have a problem with that. Actually, that was what made the movie really interesting yeah, for me. both of us. That was our favorite part of the movie. Yeah. When we left the I think, movie, you thought that. I got we the didn't feeling that you it thought you. it went too far. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no, if anything, I thought for the first two-thirds of the movie, I thought in some ways it was a little too conventional for me. Like, bringing in the the horse people was what made it, uh, you know, really funny and very different. Um, and yeah. Ar Army Hammer was good in that, too. Um, you have to remind me of Blind Spotting. Was a all right, Blind Spotting, this is the story of uh, David Diggs is, ha is, is, has been now on probation for a year. He went to jail for some crime that the movie goes into it a little bit, right? Yeah. I think eventually. But the movie centrally focuses on the last three oh, days of oh, his and probation. He wit he witnesses and he, the, he yeah. witnesses a guy get shot by a cop. That's actually, you know, no, that's my number one. That's 
That is my that was okay. my number. That oh, was okay. the one I was thinking of. Somehow I put I meshed these. Maybe you were getting maybe you were getting Rafael Casal confused with Army Hammer. Maybe. All right. Our, Rafael Casal is the white friend, and David Diggs is the main guy. This is what I like about this movie so much is it it kind of recontextualizes sort of like what they did in Mean Streets. You I have love the, the white guy in this movie. Yeah, he's such a fascinating Not character. Hear me say often. <laughs> <laughs> My mom giving props to the white patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> he, I felt he was the most empathetic yeah. character in that. Hmm, maybe. I don't know. That's an interesting he, he point. He tugged at my heart. Well, he was very complicated because he, you know, is trying to put on this facade. That act, I'm like acting like a tough black guy. I have like the the voice. Well, I have but to, he, to make sure that I don't get confused again. I'm actually going to put Well, sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you is the one where he's in the call center. That's right. how you can use it. Which is also a very good movie, but this this one the way that I actually remember this is that he had the grill on his teeth. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, he had the grill on his teeth. They're working as movers and it's much more about it's like like about the movie so much as it's a character study and kind of like Mean Streets you have the one guy who's trying to be level-headed and keep in control and the other guy is a loose cannon. You don't know what he's going right, to do at any the, moment. Was, this was the that was the De Niro the, performance. The grill on his teeth guy is De Niro. Yeah, kind of. He's Johnny Boy, and uh, I think if there's one thing that makes that puts it a little bit lower than for than for from you, Corey, I still I do like it. The more I think about, it, but him doing the the rap at the end to the cop. He was like the Eric uh, Roberts of... Um, yeah, Pope of Greenwich Village. Yeah. There was that, too. Which you you, you said that was Diet Mean Streets or whatever, or, um, or <laughs> Mice and Men or whatever it is. No, no, yeah, I compared it. I just said that it was, uh, you know, it was Mean Streets for the week. <laughs> <laughs> the week. All right, but uh, what do you think of that, Corey? I liked it. No, so you like the rap at the end. I, 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 I love... find... I just found that a little contrived, that he's just... I get that he'd be so angry, but just how it was presented. Maybe if I saw it again, I'd I love different. every single thing about this movie. That that scene in the beauty parlor, amazing. Uh, maybe one of the best scenes of mm. the year. And the fight he has with his friend. Oh yeah, is yeah. One of the greatest things I've ever seen in a movie ever. So that was a great argument scene. There's this scene where the movie is also about gentrification, and mm. the white friend doesn't like that everyone treats him like an imposter because he's white. Mm. So he was he was a little bit like some pol politicians these days <laughs> who are so pissed off with people always saying, you know, how you're not black enough. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well they were saying that you're saying that to David Diggs? No, I'm Oh, 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 it's Rafael Casal. Yeah. Miles. That the Miles character resents the fact that because he's white, people who don't know him see him as an interloper. Well, I said because he's not white. Because he is white, other people see him mm -hmm. as an interloper right. into the neighborhood. And he is disgusted by what he perceives to be gentrification in the neighborhood. And he goes to this party thrown by what he sees as these, like, hostile... Um, 
like these people performing a hostile takeover's neighborhood and he yeah. causes some trouble and yes. this leads to a breakdown between him and David Diggs. Yeah. Because David Diggs is like, I can't be getting arrested because you're causing a commotion because you have a complex about being a white person from Oakland. <laughs> right. No, no, and, I, I love that argument scene. Absolutely. Like and again, I don't mean to put say that like Oh, I have this at number eight, and I'm yeah. I we go know, down on it. We know you love the movie, but yeah. I feel like this is one of those movies where literally every single scene has so many layers of meaning. It's so complex, but it's also like it has like the ease of watching of like a popcorn film. What yeah. I loved about it is it's incredibly substantive. It's incredibly smart. It has a lot to say. But it's not a movie that feels like a chore or a labor. No, it's to watch. no, it's very entertaining. The two of them together, they're very. They have a lot of great, funny dialogue. The scene, there's a scene where uh, they're in that guy's car, and he's like, "Oh, I just got an Uber call," <laughs> and they're just looking <laughs> at guns. Great. You know, it's it's a very entertaining movie, and that's especially why, you know, when something like Green Book comes out, it just looks so passe and outdated Contrived. you know because we have things like this right and yet for some relevant. and for some reason maybe because i don't know it didn't have such and such an actor it didn't get the attention that it, it should yeah. have so and green book was this our, is what we our, call our generation this generation's equivalent to guess who's coming for dinner um I, I guess. Mean, well, I don't know if it's that bad. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just saying that... <laughs> At least this had better meant, acting. But that mentality. No, it did. It's this, this idea that, you know, Green Book kind of pushes the narrative of, you know, if you just spend a little time with a black person, you know, you'll feel... You won't, like, feel like they're scum of the earth. Whereas in Blind Spotting, no, it's a, it's more it's more complex than that when you really get down to how it is in 2018 where you know people do want to try to integrate and be together but there's still a lot that needs to be worked out. But yeah, I actually love this movie. It is my film of the year. It was the best movie I saw last year. I love it so much. Mm. If I could like snap my fingers and have made this movie more successful. Mm -hmm. I wish if, I could if have you done could that. have been Thanos and snapped your fingers, so half the movies of the year would be gone. Yes, except for Blind Spotting. Really Blind Spotting. <laughs> I think this movie is brilliant. I think mm -hmm. it's spectacular. There's really not enough superlatives. I can yeah, and I hope on it. and I hope David Diggs gets to do more movies like this because he wrote the movie too. Yeah, he is oh, amazing. So we both love this movie. It is your number eight. It is my number one. Yes. Um, and Other Mother's number one as well. Okay. Um, that's good to know. Um, <laughs> all right. So moving on, obviously, we did the favorite because that was your number seven. Um, my, uh, my number... Seven was Widows. Yeah, so we can move on now uh, to number six. Yes. Uh, so what's your number six, Corey? My number six is the movie Eighth Grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was actually just a great day at the movies because we saw Blind Spotting and Eighth Grade back to back. What a day. Yeah. So, yeah, you're kind of mad in this movie. No, no yeah, I, I enjoyed the movie, but I think because of the age we live in, mm -hmm. it's a little bit, I guess, like, uh, you know, in, in communist Russia that they decided that, you know, the individual did not count as much. So this movie just seems to 
concentrate a little bit too much on the individual. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't communist enough for you? It, it didn't. You, you, oh, just because it's a character study? I guess so. <laughs> you could just say you don't relate to I, the YouTube I, no, stuff. No, no, I, I just, I think it's just because of, I would say that in another time in our mm. history, I would have felt a little bit differently about this movie. Okay. Interesting. Because, I don't know, because I, I kind of felt like this movie had a lot to say, though, about a particular kind of individual, though, that I, I like they it, made it the specificity addressed, it, it, I like that very it addressed the Me Too thing a little. Well, I, it, I like that. Yeah, it addresses the Me Too thing, but I think it also addresses a certain isolation that technology kind of brings to people. Like, this character Elsie Fisher plays, she's on YouTube, but, you know, nobody watches her videos. See, where I feel that because of technology, I'm much less isolated. Hmm. And then if I had had this back in high school, if I had had access to some sort of social media, hmm. my life would have been much improved. And the fact that she has all this, you know, she can get on there and do, what, what is that called? When It's not a podcast. What was it she was doing? She's making YouTube videos. She's, okay, YouTube. she's a YouTuber. I don't know what you call it. Whatever a blo video is. blogger. A okay. blogger. Thank you. Wow, I'm, I'm coming <laughs> Look at you educating me on the tip window. <laughs> but no. Um, so I was like, wow, wow. You should have been back when I was in high school. And my life was so horrible. And I, had, I had no access to anything. Sure. There was no social media. But I feel like, though, but, been better. but it still addresses, though, like, you know, that, that horrible age when you're in eighth grade and stuff. Yeah, I think this movie, actually, you guys are talking about I think this movie has both, like, a great deal of specificity to it in that the protagonist feels like a unique, specific character with a, like, distinctive interior life, but there are also universal themes in it. And there are things that are, I think, universally relatable about coming of age. So I think this movie did a great job of nailing both creating a very distinctive, specific character and also tapping into universal experiences. Because I'm old enough that... I didn't have to worry about this kind of stuff when I was in eighth grade, but I still could feel so intensely some of the things that Kayla felt. Oh, absolutely too. And and speaking though to you know what I, what I liked as well, um, this didn't make my list, but again, I, I liked it a lot. Um, when you brought up the Me Too part of it, the most devastating move, scene of the movie for me is she, you know, like there, there's this one boy who shows interest in her and. He tries to, you know, make a move on her in the in this car. No, he's not really. I wouldn't call that, that he has interest in her. He has interest in being abusive. Mm. Yeah. Well, but that comes out especially though in the scene right after it, where he's driving her home and he's, you know, like saying things to her that just it really breaks your heart, and you just see like, oh, uh, this one, oh, this poor girl, she's gonna like. Ugh. God. I also feel like this movie did a great job of seeming very naturalistic and very realistic, mm. but also um, better. It was like real and hyper real at the same time. I love that she had some skin problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they make her, they don't try to sugarcoat it. Sometimes you watch movies with younger people and 
you know, it's it's the one thing that maybe was missing in the 400 blows was uh, Anton Dwanell should have had blotchier skin. Right, we missed missed acne. Truffaut didn't believe in acne. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the actors actually look the age of the characters. Well, the French don't. They don't get it. I do not do acne. Because they start drinking wine when they're two. Fair enough. That's probably some sort of But that's something Bo Burnham watched 400 Blows and was like, this is good, but needs more acne. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm sorry. I just, I went off on that tangent, but you just made me think of it. But yeah, it did such a great job, like, as social commentary but it also felt super realistic and hmm. i love this movie and yeah. it gave me and a the, lot of yeah, feelings yeah like there are other little moments too of social commentary that it almost other movies would gloss over certain parts like they have one thing they have, there's this one quick scene where they just show the students are in like the hallway at school doing like if there's a shooting what do you do prep yeah and it's not part of the main narrative. It doesn't change anything, but it's just, this is what her experience is like. And that helps distinguish it from, you know, I didn't have to do that when I was in school. And I thought of that watching this, like, Oh God, if I was in school now, I'd have to do like shooting drills. That's the new. Yeah. Well, I was about to bring that up now. We had active shooter drills. I'm surprised you didn't. Yeah. That's older than you. No, but I guess yeah, but it was different. It was different them. school districts. Yeah. Somehow Teaneck was safer than. Uh, well, actually, like back in our day, the school shootings all seemed to happen in rural, predominantly white schools. So yeah, my school was much more likely to be yeah. like. But um, one last thing I want to say though too, I like Elsie Fisher, but I also liked her father in the, in the movie too. Yeah. I thought they had a really good relationship and. You know, there there are a couple of moments where their their relationship culminates in a very satisfying way. I thought too, yeah. Where he finally has like a real conversation with her, and I feel like I remember when we saw it together, you were very like feelings. Yes, I had a lot of feelings. You must have really related to that him as a father to her. (laughs) I don't know. Oh yeah, because my father's in a touchy feely kind of guy. No, what I was about to say was, did your dad ever like? Keep an eye on you when you were at the mall. Well, like like this father did in the movie. First of all, I didn't go to the mall. <laughs> I said that was, a, that was a joke. Yeah, I know. Oh, all right. But yeah, I lived like a forty-five minute drive from the mall, so no, we were not going to the mall. <clears throat> all right. Much. I I I hope Michael Hughes is not doesn't not listen to this. My father is not very interested in girl stuff <laughs> or talking about feelings. All right, maybe I'll have to cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right, so moving Buddy, on. Buddy, of course, is a fantastic father. I don't mean he's to be disparaging. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kid, Michael Hughes. Um, now cut. All right, all right. Number six on my list is uh, Annihilation. And uh, for those uh, to give a little refresher about this movie, um, this is a this came out earlier in the year. Uh, this was immediately my number one because it came out in February. And it at times I toyed with, well, is this going to go off my list? But I actually ended up keeping it on there. And this is a sci-fi movie with Natalie Portman. And she... Where, let me talk about the movie, damn it. 
Did I say anything? You were making like <laughs> gagging sounds. <laughs> really? You found this boring? Yeah. Oh boy, no. I, I uh... Did you see it, Corey? Yeah, I like this movie a lot. Yeah, it, this is a fascinating like... It would be in my honorable mentions. Like it's... I didn't like it enough to put it on my top ten, but I did like it. I, I thought this had just an incredible sense of uh like it was my kind of visual spectacle where sometimes people go to comic book movies and get wow and I, I do too but for this it was very intellectual kind of sci-fi for me and i really yeah, liked it it, how the ideas were were expressed and way uh, over my head okay <laughs> yeah no it <laughs> it does it, it is a little heady absolutely but at the same time this also had really horrifying imagery that i also appreciated like it felt like an art house version of the thing or something <laughs> where an alien is taking over different forms for different people. And at one point there's this monstrous bear thing, like with like a giant skull. And when it opens its mouth, it's the voice of one of the women that's already been killed in their group. And that is just great, great nightmare fuel. Um, I quite, I also really just like the whole ensemble there too. You had Jennifer Jason Lee and uh, Tessa Thompson was really good in it. Um, but you liked it too, though, Corey. Yeah, I like this movie a lot. Um, it would be on my honorable mentions list. Yeah. And um, I feel like I just like how weird this movie is. It too. was really weird. That that ending with uh, Natalie Portman and that like that figure that turns into her. Like, oh, it felt like almost, it, it had a 2001 vibe. That I, really I kind of didn't know how to take the very ending of this movie. I didn't understand it. <laughs> but <laughs> I liked most too, of it a lot. And I'm, I'm too old for it. <laughs> okay. It does look great. And, and it I'm gives you a lot to president. chew on. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that was a non sequitur. So that was like those two things. <laughs> Were you? If, you're too, if you're too old for annihilation, you're too old to run for president. Fair enough. So we need to show this yeah. movie to Biden. We and need to, to show Bernie. To Bernie Sanders. Bernie and Biden have to sit through this. And if they walk out feeling nah, then they can't run. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you were at all inspired by Matt Zoller Sykes' insane love of this movie to keep it on your top 10 list? I don't. I don't know. Well, I, I, that certainly helped a little bit, but no, I I, I love this from the get go. I saw this, you know, twice in one weekend. I was just curious, only because I know his writing about the movie kind of inspired me. I think he might have actually loved it a little bit more than me, even because I I again I was blown away by this. Um, you probably I guess I'm guessing you probably enjoyed his other movie because the guy who directed this did uh, Ex Machina. I loved X Men. Okay, that's one of my all time. That may be in my top ten of all time. All time? I went. No. I saw that movie first of all, and I saw it, saw it once. I stayed in the theater and saw it again. You wanted to see him do the dance and again? Then, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm gonna cut a fucking rug here, the man. Whole idea. And then, and then I had to go back and see it a third time. Hmm. That's uh, that's how much I loved it. I can't really. I'm shocked that I, you know. Now I remember that it was supposed to be. That it was the same director. Yeah. And I, I think it has a, a similar intellectual flavor to it where, you know, I, I love his his style and approach to, the, to science fiction. So, 
I wanted to have one of these movies on here, and I'm glad for me this stuck it out as far as being on my list. So yeah, Annihilation's awesome. Go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. I liked it a lot too. Everyone, go see X Machina. <laughs> go see that too. Uh, what's your number five? My number five is Black Klansman. Or is it should really be called Black Klansman? So for those <laughs> keeping of track, the, the case. This is my highest ranked movie that was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. Yeah. So this, I there's no chance that this movie's going to win Best Picture, but this is the one I would be rooting for. This is my highest ranked movie. Of the movies nominated. I really picture. liked it. Yeah. I, I it, saw it twice. It almost, it, it was my number. Movies it was, as I mentioned earlier, this, I was struggling with, this would be number 10 or number 11. So that's how close it is. Oh, if it, okay. I had number so, 11 there, Black Clans would be there. I saw this twice as well. Uh, this was a true, when we talk about, oh, a director made a return to form, and oftentimes that doesn't mean anything. It's just one of those empty, critical phrases. No, this was a return to form for Spike Exactly. Because he hasn't had, he's had a hit or miss career. Yeah. And to say the least. Can you tell well, me what else I might have seen by him? Oh, let's see. Uh, hmm. Uh, she's got to have it. School days. Oh, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Malcolm X. Oh, Jungle Fever. Sam. You're yeah. talking about Spike Lee? <laughs> As opposed forgot, to who? I forgot that he did Spike this. Spike Leroy? <laughs> I forgot. No, I forgot that he did this. Yeah. How could you? Who, I don't know how you could mistake it for. Did, well, it, did it not feel like his usual kind no, of movie? Not really. You didn't notice the Spike Lee joint in the, the trailers? That's how it's yeah. advertised? I feel I like this felt like. I didn't really. Uh, I hadn't even thought about who the director was. So. Um, that's, well, I loved <laughs> I loved Black Klansman because I thought that he did such a good job exploring the kind of central um, like dilemma from so many angles. Like I loved how when, for instance, you might say like there's not much to making a movie about the Klan because the Klan is evil. We all know that. But I think he did a really good job exploring, like, why people are attracted to white supremacy. I think he did a really good job exploring, like, the gender dynamics of... One of the things that made this movie... Like family. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of, the clan. And one of the things yeah. for me was uh, David Duke. And, and Topher Grace, he was probably also someone who should have... I think he gave a better performance than Adam Driver. He's nominated him. Best supporting actor. Yeah, and I actually there's this um, author 
And now he actually just got a job as a columnist for the New York Times. His name is Jamel Bowie. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I love his writing. I read it all the time. And he wrote this article about the Ralph Northam blackface controversy. And it was a great article. And he mentioned that when you're talking about white supremacy, you can't deny the sheer joy that a certain type of white person gets from reveling in white supremacy. And when I read his column about this, I was thinking back to, of course, the birth of a nation yeah. scene. Oh do, you mean, oh, do you mean the scene that <laughs> I wish had turned into Inglorious Bastards <laughs> and John David Washington would just start shooting them all? <laughs> yeah. So I feel like Spike Lee dug a lot deeper mm-hmm. than another director would have done with the yeah. same material. Well, what I liked was there was some critic out there, and I forget who, but they he had, this one critic drew actually a parallel between how Spike Lee kind of used cinema to fight against D.W. Griffith from Birth of a Nation. Because, uh. like, that movie is supposed, you know, it's taught in film schools, and it's like, oh, you have to watch this because it invented cross-cutting. And, like, okay, sure. But never make a movie like this. Yeah, but no, no, but what he wanted to, but he then, as that whole sequence is happening where Adam Driver is inducted into the clan and then they're watching the, the movie... Mm-hmm. Uh, it cuts to Harry Belafonte talking about the 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 person who was the, the black person who was killed and mutilated, and how he's cross cutting between those two stories is his way of kind of fighting against what Griffith did yeah. in Birth of and a Nation. I thought that was a really brilliant uh, point. I looked to how I looked to how this movie seemed to suggest that like. When combating racism, like, you can win battles, but you're not winning the war. Yeah. So I liked that this movie does have, like, a kind of feel-good element to it as well. But And there are scenes that are very emotionally satisfying, like, you go, John David Washington. Yeah. But... But the ending. The ending. The, the ending, I think, is why it's nominated for all these Oscars. You know, showing that Charlottesville footage and... Yeah, and watching uh, the Charlottesville footage. So I also really disagree with the kind of left critiques of this movie that Spike Lee is, like, too soft and too fond of cops in this movie, which I know Boots Riley said, and when they reviewed this movie... He was the guy who did Sorry to Bother. When they reviewed this movie on NPR Happy Hour, they were actually kind of down on it because they were like... Spike Lee is sold out and he's selling the police as an institution to combat racism when they should really be focusing on the police as an institution that propagates racism. But it's the story. And he even has like a racist cop in the movie. But I think that Spike Lee does a really good job of both giving you this feel-good story about, you know, a black guy who infiltrates the clan and brings it down, but he doesn't let you off the hook. And he shows you that, like, the work is not done. And I've always said that Mm -hmm. one of the main reasons why I refuse to see the movie Green Book is that I'm not interested in movies about, like, race and race relations in America that exist just to make white people feel good about how far we've come. Yeah. And well the real well the real problem I have with Green Book was that they 
they they set up something with that character and then just completely bullshitted the ending for me. Like they have a scene in that movie where Vigo Mortensen, like there are two plumber. I've probably gone on about this before, but <laughs> there are two like black plumbers that or something that come over to their house. They're drinking water from glasses. Ooh, and then he throws out the glasses, and then the wife, you know, tries picks them back up to reuse them. But that's a pretty heavy thing to put in your movie. That's a major statement you're showing about your character. And then by and also about the world that that character is in, that it's racist Italian Bronx in the 60s. And then at the end of the movie, oh, we're, we're going to have a scene where it's Christmas Eve and uh, we, we want to invite over, uh, you know, poor, suffering, all alone, uh, Mahershali. And everybody's just fine with him being there because I guess now it's all A-OK. It's, it's the boysenberry Sherbert effect. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go and, on that rant. The one little thing that I would add to the Black Klansman. Yeah, please. And now that I do realize that was that was Spike Lee. <laughs> yes. So Spike Lee has a problem. He's not a fan of Quentin Tarantino, from what I understand. Uh, they had a falling out. They yes. originally. And yet he took his ending. How so? Pretty much with For... the, the film burning up and something like and that kind of. Uh... What do you mean, like? The for the the end. I feel like of, the ending of Black Klansman is different than what Tarantino does usually. Well, I'm, the, so I'm trying. Are to you think thinking of Django or Inglorious no, Bastards? No, Inglorious Bastards. The end, uh, and I feel as if he might have been that even if he's not a fan of Quentin Tarantino, he saw that movie and that that ending in Inglorious Bastards stuck in his mind for the ending where they keep you know showing the. Uh, Birth of a Nation. Oh, well, but that's not quite the ending. Yeah. That's sort of the, the climax of that. Well, that's why I said I wanted to go even more. I, I joked that it should have gone into Inglorious Bastards territory. Like, no, I, I'm sure he probably saw that scene and put that into the movie. Even maybe he might not have been conscious of it. I thought when you said might... en- I thought when you said ending, I thought you meant the ending of Black Klansman. No, no, but, okay. I, but I, I felt as if maybe he wasn't re- that he wasn't re- maybe conscious that he was. Yeah. Taken a little bit from Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Well, I mean, not that. I mean, he's an amazing director on his own. Yeah. He's certainly a yeah. Quentin Tarantino's a child compared to him. Sure. But it's like. They're actually not that far apart in age. Oh, it's funny. They? No, just a few years. I think that, well, it's funny that Spike Lee, I think he takes sometimes things very seriously when it comes to these issues. Like, he saw Django and he's like, I'm not. Actually, I don't, even, I don't think he even saw that. He was like, I'm not going to see that movie. I'm going to honor my ancestors honorably. You know, as if, I guess, Django dishonors slaves or something. Um, I know it's a whole other discussion. Yeah, and I want to be like, can't you all just get along? I love both of you so much. All right. Well, all right, so that's Black Klansman. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm glad it's up for all these Oscars. Okay, it's got three thumbs up here yeah three (laughs) thumbs up and we hope to see what spike wears to the oscars because it'll probably look very spiffy oh yes i cannot wait to see spike lee on the red carpet such a snappy dresser and his glasses game is on point (laughs) yeah oh and also he had a he has a good nickname for trump i don't know if you ever heard it he calls him agent orange oh i have heard it yeah that's good all right my number five is the one movie that Corey has not seen Yes. On my list, but we we saw it. 
which is uh, Shoplifters. I saw it first. Oh, di- oh, yeah, you did, right. Oh, we didn't see it together, right. I, I saw it on my own, yeah. Um, I'm going to eat some grapes while you talk and about I told, And I told you you had to see it, that it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, Shoplifters, for those of you who don't know, this is actually nominated in the foreign film category. It's from Japan. Uh, uh, the director's name, I'm now it's escaping me. I think it's Koreda Hirozu or something. It's something Koreda. It's it's one of those kind of names. He He's done a lot of art house films. What this movie is, is about a... Uh, this this family who are living in kind of a poor section of a city, um, they, they the the father and son have this whole thing worked out where they go into stores and they shoplift and they have a system worked out for that. And one night they see that there's this little girl who's just by herself on the streets and she maybe has a family but she's been really neglected so. They this family takes her in and is it a spoiler to say that it's not really they're not really father and son? Yes. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nobody, oh no, where's your filter? Nobody, nobody out there is gonna look, is gonna hear this. <laughs> so, sorry, Gabe. I was gonna All say right, way right. to insult Gabe like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Gabe. All right, let me go on. All right, things happen eventually in the third act, but what's so great about this is you spend so much time with this family and it all feels so naturalistic and all of the performances, it's, you really get to feel like you're a part of this family. And then, but little by little, you're noticing, huh, that's a weird little thing. No, they're not really family. And there's, it's all kind of a, a big scheme uh, and there's even a dead body that is involved as well. Um, but no, it, it has like, it's so rare to get a movie nowadays where a filmmaker understands like the cinematic language of like neorealism and it's like, things like De Sica and, well, that's, and Rossellini. Well, that was what came into my mind was De Sica with either, you know, Bicycle Thief or uh, the dog one. Yeah. And what's, what's the name of that one? Umberto D. Umberto D, oh, which yeah, is okay. one of my all-time favorite right. movies. And that's why um, I left the theater. That's that was going through my mind. Yeah, well, there's that kind of tone of people who are living on the street and just trying to survive. And the characters in Shoplifters, it's... It almost seems weird to say it, but their crime, their petty crimes at first make them kind of endearing because it's like, oh, isn't that cute? They're they're shoplifting. But then they do such a good job, too, of showing how everybody is a real character and everybody has their own things going on and the kids. And they really are. They're better than family. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is that this girl comes into this situation and she was coming from a really abusive, neglected. yeah, right. she was abused, she was neglected, and she finds a family with this group of, uh, of, these, of these people. And, uh, but that's what makes the whole ending, too, a bit con- conflicted. Because you're like, oh, no, but can't they just all still be together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Despite all the things that are happening. And I mean, you do wonder a what little the fa- What the, the quote, father and son, too. Right, they mean, have a lot of good like, scenes near the end. Sort of, I guess it... it it sort of leads up to it when that whole question of why won't the kid call him father or dad? Oh yeah. Did now? Did you see this twice? 
response. I don't believe in that. I only saw it. The ones. Yeah, I wanted to. I if, I if this comes out in video, I might check it out again because it's. I feel like there are a lot of things that on a second viewing I could see that I didn't get the first time. You know, like yeah. maybe little hints about right, who the they hints. are that I didn't catch on. I definitely want it as soon as it's available. It's extreme. TV, it's it's one of those movies that. that is just extremely subtle. And yet it's, there were certain scenes watching this where I, I felt like I was going to come to to tears. Like this may, might've been my, my favorite, one of my, not my favorite movie until I saw the movie t- I saw today. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, we could talk about that a little, in a little, little bit, but, uh, but yeah, so if you far no domestic, there you go, yeah. But shoplifters, that one was pretty high up on my list. It kind of has been going slightly up and down, but now it's comfortably at number five, right in the middle. Okay. Yep, exactly. Uh, what's your number four, Corey? My number four is a movie that I watched last night, so just under the wire. Yeah, and it was The Wife. Yes, the, and um. Talking about wifely duties. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Glenn, you, you've got nothing on Glenn Close. <laughs> well, I was going to say, though, Corey doesn't, like, she doesn't write fiction, so that already cancels out <laughs> how she would be of any help to and me. And then we'll all find out that she's really behind all of Jack's reviews, and, and eventually <laughs> we'll find out that you're really the, the filmmaker in the family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I I like this movie quite a bit too, and seeing it again, it, it really holds up. Uh, this is actually on a side note. This was the final movie I saw at the uh, Edgewater Theater, which ah. is gone now. Which you knew this movie was extremely my jam. So yeah, I wish you'd come to see it with me. I mean, that's uh, uh, just to give a very quick synopsis. This is about uh, Jonathan Price and Glenn Close, their husband and wife. He wins the Nobel Prize in Literature, and they go to get the award. And it kind of goes back and forth in time to show how... Um, you already did! You kind of jumped ahead, sort of. I didn't spoil this one. Well, you said it's going to come out that I write all Jack's oh, reviews, t- <laughs> and that I make the movies. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you're going to be a new supervillain character. You're called the Spoiler. <laughs> Super spoiler. I don't even know I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Because it just feels so comfortable chatting with the two of you. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'll just put <laughs> that, a little I forget, I forget that we're doing uh, It's fine. We're Again, this is the end of the year episode. I assume everyone's seen the movies out there, right? <laughs> All right. But no, this movie... Uh, so you read the book. Yes, I read the book that this is based on. Although I read the book about six years ago, so... I didn't remember almost anything about it. Like, I remembered the twist, but that's about it. I didn't really remember any of the other details. And actually... What twist? <laughs> I actually yeah, found... Easy there, M. Night. <laughs> I think I might have enjoyed it <laughs> even more knowing what the twist was going into it because it made every single line of dialogue crackle with, like, four different layers and I just love this movie because I feel like I'm very repetitive in my praise and I keep saying the same thing about all these movies because I mean they're on my top 10 list so I think they're all really well acted they're all really but what makes the wife stand out but what I loved about this was I really felt like 
every single line of dialogue had like four different meanings. Mm -hmm. Like every single scene was so layered. And because the characters were old and they had had such like a long, complex life Mm -hmm. together, there was just so much dimension to all of them. And also with the sun too. Yeah. And then, and this was amazing. And if this, yeah, Glenn Close, you know, it's, if this is the movie where she finally gets her Oscar, it is not a scent of a woman situation. She is actually spectacular in this. I love the, your idea of when, because she is going to win. The yeah. Best actress. I yeah. Don't think well, this is know, why I put on Facebook I think we, yesterday. We could all put our money on that. Yeah. Um, but I, I like your idea mm-hmm. that they showed, as, as far as I'm showing a clip, yeah. that they showed the clip of the husband going to get his yeah. Nobel Prize yeah. right before they announced her as the winner. Yes, I think that would be perfect because you have, like, yeah, she's sitting there, you know, like about to burst into tears listening to her husband, you know, say how much I'm, I feel so... She's my life. She's the person who's inspired me. And she's sitting there yeah, like... But she's really bursting into tears because, oh my God, did I really waste my... My life. <laughs> yeah. You know, basically helping this man. It's... Uh, it, and it is really about something, too. It's it's It has that level of being about character study, uh-huh. but it's also a comment on, you know, what... On women's lib. I mean... Yeah, well, what was the term you used in your Goodreads review? That you that you didn't understand no, that was very clear. I should have known it. Pre second wave feminism. I said that her character came of age before the second wave. No, now when you explained it, then I understood. And because I'm a dumb man. You're clearly. a very dumb man. You're a very smart man. Very smart and very uh, attractive and very not like the husband in this movie. Yeah. Very, very not like. And mm-hmm. I loved this movie. And one thing I keep coming back to, movies in my top ten list, movies that are really intelligent character studies, but they use those characters as a prism through which to make these larger, like, socioeconomic Mm -hmm. points. So I love when you can get a ton of, like, really excellent, like, Mm -hmm. political commentary or cultural commentary, but through the prism of these characters that still feel like specific people. They don't mm. feel like they are props in service of the commentary. They really feel so like a little like Spider-Verse. It has a different statement about patriarchy, but sure. But I absolutely love this movie. I'm so glad that... Yeah, that'll be your next dissertation. <laughs> comparing the wife to Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the, the, the sense from the movie that you, you get personally involved with these char- oh, yeah, characters. Yeah. Well, the ending almost had a bit of a feeling, too, but for me. Has like, a, uh, but it's all within a bigger... Well, it's also part of like a statement. classical narrative, too. It's like when in college they gave us... a. Uh, a doll's house to read. I felt like the ending of this movie had that. But this was actually very, uh, this is like anti-Philip Roth. (laughs) Ah, it's almost, yeah, I feel like Meg Wolitzer must, she probably was thinking of Philip Roth, especially because he's like, you know, typical Jewish American. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, although you didn't, you didn't get that from this movie. A little bit. I'm guessing in the book that it, it did have more of a, a, you know, some sort of a Jewish culture. I actually, do, I it. don't remember very much from the book, and but also it's not a long book, no. so I wouldn't be surprised if 
they took pretty much everything from the book. But I actually did. Yeah, I was thinking when I saw this Philip Roth mm -hmm. and how this was sort of the the anti-Philip Roth, which is actually what brings me back to conversations that we've had that a lot of the current uh, crap that we see, like on a Lifetime or uh -huh. something, or some of the, of the oh, the writing of um, oh, what's her name that you had got me to read. Uh, for those listening, uh, which are all of you, my okay. mom's getting up to look at a book. The, the Krantz. Uh, oh, how, yeah. How she's... Oh, Judith Krantz? Judith yeah. Krantz is really looked down upon, and yet I don't think that she's that far off from being mm. Philip Roth. So you're saying that if... it's a woman. So, so, if, so if she... So if, if this had been like in the wife situation where a man was writing, like... That a man's name was on her books, they would have had a different reputation. Yeah, and that's one of the points that the uh, that the movie makes that it's not that like female authors, um, like can never get published, but you'll never get cred. You'll you don't get the kind of respect. Like, you don't he's get, considered yeah. great. You know, he's a great literary artist, and yet the look at someone like Judith Krantz is basically writing the same kind of thing as Philip Roth, and yeah. she's you know. Just and garbage. you see this even now where if a woman writes about relationships or family, it's beach reads, it's chiclet with the pastel right. cover. But if a man does this, it is great art. Exactly. And there's this idea that like that if a woman writes, mm -hmm. she writes for the niche audience, quote unquote, of women who are, mm -hmm. you know, only the majority of the population. Yeah, I mean, you take, you know, like Philip Roth or John Updike. I mean, you know. If they were women, yeah. uh uh, they wouldn't it wouldn't yeah. have been they wouldn't have been bought. Yeah. Not as great literary men. Right. Yeah. This is totally Well, well sorry, I No, I, no, it's just now with all this talk, it's just kind of gonna be kind of an interesting transition into my number four because I also have an adaptation of a book, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. When I was growing up, I was trying to make a connection between the life I saw and the life I lived. There are days when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. This is one of them. And, so talk about your number four. And th this is a movie that when I I saw this, uh, it, it, like it's almost like a cliche, but like my heart soared watching watching this movie. And frankly, actually, I, I, the second time I saw it, I saw it with the both of you, and I think you both brought up some points that made me realize, okay, because I was close to making this my number one. Like I was feeling that strongly about this this film. And then both you and then a couple other critics I heard made me think, um, yeah, it's not perfect. Because at first no. I came out of this and I was and so... Not really, because Corey's critique of this movie is that it was too perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and I could see that. That's why, again, it dropped a couple spots. But um, if Beale Street could talk, it's um, another, actually, a movie about... Uh, a. a Two people who are in love, uh, very different circumstances, and uh, 
and cultures. Uh, this is about uh, this. This stars uh, Kiki Lane and Stephen James, um, written by James Baldwin originally, and it, it just fo- it kind of goes back and forth in time, uh, following how the 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 man uh, was funny. He he's arrested and accused of a rape and. Uh, and Tish is the woman, I think her name is, and she's pregnant. And it's just following how they fell in love and tried to make a life together. But what I loved so much about this film is that it, a lot of what seems like so perfect about it, both the, uh, both in cinematography and, and the music, it almost felt like it was the filmmaker, Barry Jenkins, he's trying to connect how, um, her feelings about this time in her life were connect were almost represented through the the style of it and it's like it's a very lush and very like emotional feeling to it but then you go to the the scenes that are supposed to be in present day and those are shot a little more conventionally that's not the same feeling as in the earlier scenes and i just also just loved watching these two people and watching their relationship uh, try that their their love sticks together and yeah. they stay in love despite everything else around them that is kind of pulling them apart. And uh, I mean, it may I think for some people, maybe you, Corey, that maybe it felt a little bit anachronistic. Hmm. Well, I my thing is I mildly liked this movie. Like, I would give it three out of five stars in Goodreads. I would give it, like, the lowest positive review. I think it, it might be just different for me, too, because I read the book literally... I finished it, like, a week or two before I saw the film. So it was especially fresh in my mind. And I, I really loved the book as well. I thought it actually, with a couple exceptions, they were pretty close to the book. And... I felt like Baldwin, his his kind of worldview about these people, and he was writing from her first person point of view, which was kind of interesting. He was a he wasn't you know, obviously James Baldwin black. He was also gay, and I, I don't know. I just for me, I just connected with it so emotionally. This is the movie. This is the movie that you and I like disagree about the most on this list because mm. this movie would not be within like twenty feet of my top ten list. I. I like certain individual scenes a great deal. You re- well, you really like the where, where the the parents meet each other. I love the scene, scene where the parents. It meet really each other. is. Just, you, know. you need that scene in the movie. Like I would think, actually, without that scene, I might actually agree with a lot of what people criticize it. For. I, I, that was as dramatic as you know anything in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I mean, it was yeah. just. So, like, you were holding your breath. And it, it was like that exactly in the book, too. It was all the same dialogue. and I love the scene where Fonny's talking to that guy. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the well, interesting thing to note, um, the his friend in that scene who's talking about his time in jail, he was the in Widows as the politician guy. Which blew oh, my mind. He's right. the same actor. He seems oh, wow. so different. Yeah. Very different. Wow. I did not. Yeah. I did not. Them yeah, you can't picture him picking up Viola Davis's dog, you know, threatening to That's, kill it. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. But 
a lot of this movie actually left me kind of cold. So, oh. and then I remember you said to me after we were talking about it, you're like, what happened to my mush pot of a wife? <laughs> because I am very sentimental. I'm someone who's, I think I'm very easy mm. to move when I'm watching something. I cry a lot when watching things. I, I, I think I'm pretty easily manipulated by movies. Yeah. I guess, I know, I think what I, what really stuck out for me was that there was, there was thing. There were things about it that made it feel universal, but there was also a specificity to the way that this Harlem was presented. That it did, he didn't need to make it into like this grand epic where he redesigned all of Harlem. It was more about the the feel of the people and about that particular time where you know they just didn't have options. They were at the kind of mercy of. You know, or you leave little specific things like how she works at the the perfume counter and how she notices how like a black man will take her wrist versus like a white guy, like just those little things. Like, ah, oh, so good. Actually, if you want to read a book with like similar themes that just came out like last year, an American Marriage. Did you read that? That's yeah. I ha- well, I think it's. I didn't read, but I have it on my. Show. It's amazing. <laughs> And an American Marriage is also a book about a young black couple where the man is unjustly imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. And yeah. it talks about the strain of his incarceration on the marriage, on their families. The book is called An American Marriage. I and it's you. absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's so it was, good. Uh, I was recommended to me by somebody I used to work with. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's my number four, though. Um, you, you liked it, Mom? Oh, yeah. Okay. Which I which makes me wonder a little bit on uh, the fact that I don't see Roma on Corey's list. Because Uh-oh. it's not on my list. Well, we're going to get to that. Um, <laughs> well, that's going to go on to your number three, because this is the one that's probably going to surprise some people out there. My number three movie of the year is the year is the movie Unsane. Oh, you know what? I'm saying to myself, I'm looking at this thing and looking at it, and I'm saying... Well, there, was a movie, a there was a movie called USANE. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And I thought uh, it had something to do with, like, Nebraska or... <laughs> I, you you, I were, you must have been thinking this. to yourself, did I see that Montclair? Was that one of those I, it's, there, You know what? There's no end there. So yeah. it looks like you saying... And I'm, I said, had I, I didn't even hear of this movie. Yeah, but no. You know the movie Unsane, right? I have heard of that, but okay. I didn't see it. All right. So you did not see Unsane. We actually reviewed this, if you want to go back a ways, to in our in our kind of double episode where we talked about acrimony. We then well, talked want, about Unsane. I'm not going to listen to it unless I see this movie. Or You probably did listen to it and you just don't remember. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah. All right, good. The movie Unsane is about a woman who is psychologically dealing with the ramifications of having a stalker. She's very stressed out because she's she's being stalked and she gets she goes to see a doctor to deal with her anxiety and this crooked hospital which is running I did see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> which is running like an insurance scam. Well, it came out early last year. This came out in about I March. En- I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, this is uh, the Steven Soderbergh, his first experiment with uh, shooting on iPhone you with know, uh, Claire Foy. Like a half hour later, you chat about it, and I'll, then I'll know if I saw it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so she's in 
the hospital. And it wouldn't have been in my top ten, but it was no. a movie that I liked. Yes. And what? Why do you love this so much? Okay, there. Oh, so many reasons. First of all, I actually surprisingly like the fact that they dispatch pretty quickly with any ambiguity about whether or not she's really being stalked. We find out very early on in the movie that, like, she's not crazy. She really is being stalked. Her, I think it was that early. Her stalker has infiltrated this hospital. But I loved how well it captured the fear and paranoia of her incarceration, basically. I loved how well it portrayed a stalking relationship. Yeah. This movie did... I'm, in certain ways, this was like a lifetime movie done by like a real cinematic artist. Yeah. Now I said to you, granted, <laughs> it was slightly Kafkaesque. <laughs> you could call this movie "Stalked by My Orderly." <laughs> Stalked by now, My Orderly. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I th- that was a movie, wasn't it? I wasn't with me in it. I wasn't in that movie. <laughs> That's my Eric now. Roberts. I remember telling you at the time. <laughs> this is Steven Soderbergh's best movie, the pinnacle of his career. Now, admittedly, I you haven't, haven't seen, seen enough of his a movies lot of his movies, but of his movies I've seen, this is by far my favorite movie he's ever made. I just think that it it's hard to think of another movie that does as good a job like ratcheting up tension, creating suspense. And I actually kind of love the swerve into an indictment of the insurance industry. That was great. It was so Yeah, great. yeah, that was unexpected. I think there was some criticism that the movie almost lets her off the hook by not making it about how, no, she might actually be crazy. And they're not wrestling with that enough. But they clearly lost you, sight of what the movie is. No, I saw it with her. Oh, you did? We reviewed okay. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I, I like this movie a lot. I like Claire Foy gives a hell of a performance. She's amazing. And also, I don't even know the name of the actor who played her stalker, but he was amazing. He was one of the guys from Blair Witch Project. Wow. Joshua something. Joshua he was also, Leonard. Yeah, he was also in Hump Day. Wow, he's changed a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if you watched him in Blair Witch, you would not know him in watching this movie. But it's just, I realize this movie doesn't have maybe exactly the same level of depth as some of the other movies on my list. But no, when I stop and think about it, there is a lot going on in this movie. And even like the relationship with her mother, mm-hmm. Amy Irving, the relationship she builds in the hospital are yeah. all really fascinating. Um, yeah. I love this movie. It's so amazing. And it also is a pretty quick movie, too. Like, it doesn't have much fat on it. It it, it clocks in, I think, about 90 minutes. So. Oh, yeah. It's expertly paced. And... Visually, also, the iPhone works for it. Because if you watch... Especially, we watch this in a theater... And it made me feel like I was going crazy watching it at times. Yeah, the mo- the way the movie is shot, it does a good job simulating her fracturing mental state. Yeah. So Absolutely. this movie is super awesome. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that, the, you know, an insurance company could make somebody crazy. <laughs> <laughs> or put you very close to the edge. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that they, the insurance company has, is wielding all of its power and then some, I in mean, some diabolical ways. You know, I, I definitely yeah. get, get it. Yes. Um, now to move on to another auteur-driven movie, though, my number I love three. That you both ha- oh, I thought you were going to go. 
Okay. Well, that's what I'm yeah. going to. We're go oh, now. I got to talk about Roma. number three of the year it's my highest uh f film in my ranking that is uh up for awards um this movie is interesting for me because i was somehow able to get i, I saw this actually twice in the theater which uh is kind of unique in a way because this is a netflix movie um and i don't know do you think that you would have felt differently about it if you had watched it home well, the movie is really gorgeous, so I'm glad I saw it on a big screen. Although we have a pretty big television now, so maybe I could have like made do with that. But well, not before. Yeah, when we saw this movie, we didn't have that television. Yeah, so. but now, like, but this, it's in an interesting position because it's a movie that really was shot to be seen in a theater. I feel like it, you know there are certain Netflix movies that you watch and you might enjoy them up to a point, but you'll say. Yeah, that was a Netflix movie. <laughs> that was I don't feel bad watching that at home. But with Roma, everything was so carefully choreographed and everything was on this gigantic canvas. Um, but what was great was it was a very intimate epic, if that makes sense. That's a perfect way to phrase you know, it, it's, an it's intimate this, epic. Yeah, it's just following this, you know, young maid who uh is surrounded by everything in the world going on. Maybe that's a little bit in common what I thought with Beale Street, but with this, it's there are times where she'll just walk out of like a movie theater and it looks like there are a hundred things going on at once and she's just kind of there and she has kind of a calmness that is really fascinating. You know, like uh, there's this one set piece where she goes to find her uh, baby daddy and he's doing like martial arts or something. So, so weird. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I have to be ready to defend myself. I feel, I felt like I needed to read up a little bit on what was going on in Mexico. That if that, that was, was a, really a, a thing. Even a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If that was, or if that was just something the director made up for, for, to make something weird. But what's great is that little moment where the, the, the Kung Fu master or whatever, he, does this very simple thing of like, I'm going to put my like fingers on my nose and pull my leg up and like nobody else can do it except for her. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a great little detail that, you know, it just says something maybe about her character and it's maybe something mysterious, but um, yeah. Like, would you say that if you had a list mom, this would be on your list? Uh, I think so, though. It's funny. I don't like to get influenced by listening to anything or ever reading anything <laughs> before I before I go in to see a movie. I love to go in 
cold and just get hit with whatever yeah. it is. So I very, very, very rarely will read a review of mm. anything or even listen to your podcast. Or I just don't want to be influenced. Mm. I want to always walk into a movie and be completely fresh. I yeah. can go in with no ex no expectations at all. Sure. And the thing is that I, and something I wouldn't necessarily do, but I listened to an interview somebody discussing this movie okay recently yeah after i saw it and what they said about one of the things they said about it is how it didn't it sort of didn't really get into her real true in a life that they mm. they sort of missed the boat a little bit by having her such a staid and you know unemotional i know i also real, said that too okay well then which, and maybe it was maybe you were just really in my head. I wasn't really listening to the radio, <laughs> but this is. But that when I heard that, I actually, I rethought what I initially felt about the movie, which was that I really loved it. I thought it was so beautifully shot, and and mm. her her performance or not unperformance, <laughs> I think you uh. could say that. Um, well, again, going back to neorealism, it, it took me back and thinking they really could have delved more into her inner life and I think that would have been more interesting. Mm. Yeah, so that's I remember I said that to you and if someone oh, else said it, maybe. Okay, well then you, you said it and someone else said it. Um, that's why I'm probably thinking of something you said and I thought <laughs> I heard it on the radio. That is why I like this movie but it's not on my top ten list. It's a fair point. And it definitely, and I've seen all of the foreign film mm. films that are up for awards. Yeah. And this would only really come in at number th of the five or six or however many there are. This would not be in the, my top two. Well, it's funny because the first time when I saw Roma and then I saw Shoplifters, I initially <laughs> I initially had them switched on my list. I actually had, I like Shoplifters a little bit more, but seeing Roma a second time, I was just floored by how much of a full personal vision this was though um i think it is an interesting point that yeah if, about what her inner life is but at the same time i wonder if she's also you know could she be the kind of character who could really articulate her emotions like I maybe certain I, other characters i, I believe that we could have learned more about her i think that's that's sort of uh just an excuse well it's tricky because i understand a person in her role would be kind of passive and reactive by nature but this is the reason why i liked this movie but i didn't love it because the lead character is so um internal and so just reactive rather than active well maybe the director just felt that he really he couldn't get that out of her because she really isn't an actress yeah so. no no there was that too yeah i i heard a little bit about her after seeing the movie that she like, she didn't even go to auditions. It was one of those things that happens. You hear these stories where, I was just going with my friend. And, oh, and then he's like, no, I want you. I was thinking and, that, like, if, if you had to direct somebody mm -hmm. who had no acting experience at all. Mm. Um, Which is, that, that's a, but that does happen sometimes, too. Unemotional and, or, or do you? Well, it's also a question, too, how much of it is in the performance versus how much is in the writing. Right. And again, there's a reason why it this isn't like all the way at the top. Like a lot of people before were saying this is the greatest masterpiece. This will be like the movie of the decade. And I don't feel that's starting to overrate a oh, little bit. Yeah, no way. 
But I think for me watching this movie, I just am I'm just impressed so much by the full world that's shown here. That the the, the different the cinematography so and just those little moments that are really he he drops surreal stuff in here that shouldn't make sense um, to a common movie. Like there's like this giant fire that happens when they're on like vacation, and this one guy is just like singing. You know, it was almost like a bit of a Fellini movie, uh, very Fellini type. Um, it's also just a lot. There's like devastating stuff here, but I would say this movie also is it is very pro feminist though. In a lot of, like as far as sh- making it about you know her journey and also the wife's journey and how they end up kind of and every male together. character in this movie is pretty awful. Yes, yeah, the every, father is awful. Every man is a trifling jerk. Yeah, you almost wonder like, gee, what's in literature what's, is in life. <laughs> <laughs> what's going to happen to these boys too that are in this this household? Um, so I don't know. Maybe I was just I, the. Like maybe if I did watch it again, that would strike out to me more about her not having as rich of a inner, showing an inner life like that. Um, but yeah, all right. But let me get to the last couple of movies we should talk about. Um, now Jack is going to do his number one now because our number two movies are the same. Yes, and you already know my number one movie because it was Jack's number eight movie. So yeah. and this is the one movie. Of all the movies either of you have that I have not seen. Yeah. So, and uh, I did watch shows to Corey, but. So, um, I can just leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, yes. Go, go, uh, yeah. <laughs> go, go get the mail if you want, if you haven't got it yet today. So, tell the good people your film. All right. Because I really don't want to hear about it because I haven't seen it. Fair enough. But are you, are did you just, going to see it? You might. You have I, Netflix. Not that I have, yeah. I have the big screen and. Yeah, you should wait to listen to this part of the podcast later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'll just talk about this kind of quick because, uh, yeah, my my number one was uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I should have seen this coming. Can't be top dog forever. Let me tell you, buddy, here's a faster gun. Coming over yonder when tomorrow comes. Let me tell you, buddy, and it won't be long till you find yourself singing your last cowboy song. Yippee ki yay, when the roundup ends. Yippee ki yay, and the campfire dims. Um, it's the Coen Brothers. It's a Western anthology. I just love every second of this movie. I I love the experimentation of it. I love how it goes from different kinds of Western genres from one to another. Uh, I love all the actors in it. You have just everybody that you would want to see in a movie like this. Uh, actually, well, one thing that might be a little troublesome though, Liam Neeson is in a segment. So you might want to skip that. Um, uh, I just, I don't know for me, this just, 
it, it encapsulated everything that I love about the Coen brothers in one movie. And sometimes these anthology movies where you have like a bunch of short stories kind of put together, some might be stronger than others. And this is kind of the case here, but it, it really is something that I find it just funny and heartwarming and tragic and incredibly violent in times and very depressing it encapsulated a lot of my feelings about 2018, even if it was more abstract. And um, Tom Waits is a gold prospector. Um, it's I didn't also... like the Tom Waits segment. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, no. Tom Waits was so good in this movie. I, I love him so much in this. Um, it's also nominated for Best Song. That song that's that you're going to hear at the Oscars is so great. That was a really excellent song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I just, I don't know if you have any other words, Corey. Um, since it's an anthology movie, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. I like more than I dislike. There are five segments. Six. Six? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Well, I flat out didn't like the Tom Waits segment, like, at all. I would have mm. just cut it entirely. And the James Franco segment was okay. Like, mm. not great, not terrible. The other segments I liked a lot. That's my feelings about the movie. And apparently I'm forgetting one of them because I was sure we should five. Yeah, well, there was one with Tim Blake Nelson, one with James yeah. Franco, the one with the amputee. Yeah, the Liam Neeson one. Yeah, Tom Waits. Yeah, then... Zoe Kazan. Oh, how could I forget that one? That one was really good. Yeah, that one was the one that I felt made it especially great for me because that was like... Uh, I really like Joey Kazan a lot. It was the Coen brothers doing the Oregon Trail. <laughs> <laughs> your your cow died of diphtheria. That's a reference from, you probably didn't play the Oregon Trail, because that was a game when we were kids. Yeah. on our the, Before computers were really sophisticated, and that was all we could do with our computers, was type up our homework and play the Oregon Trail game. Yeah, I did not know what you were doing on the your computer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't doing much when I was a kid. Because we didn't have internet. Um, so, so that's my number one. It's I admit it's a very personal pick. Um, but I just... Uh, it was just... It, it gave me so much joy as, as a movie lover. Alright. So you want to do our communal number two movie. We both picked... Um, the same movie is number two. And I don't know about you, but for me, this movie is number two by just a hair underneath my... Yeah, throat. no, th this came really close to being my number one as well. I know it's. I, I was just singing the praises of Buster Scruggs. Um, but but no, these two are very close together. It's, just, it's a matter of just flipping a coin, really. It's a game of inches. Yeah, and First Reformed is uh, such a masterpiece. We love First Reformed. The fact that Ethan Hawke did not get an Oscar nomination is an embarrassment. That's true. I agree with A that. total embarrassment, and especially who they nominated in his place. Oh, my like, God. Like, if you, if you want... to hear his name? <laughs> well, he's probably going to win, too. Oh, no. Yeah. See, that's why I'll be DVRing it. You can and fast forward. I can just go right. Through. No, but the one thing that you could watch, though, I don't know if you heard that there's. I don't know if the there's, audience understands well, what we're talking about. Well, the, well, DVRing, watching the Oscars telecast. Right, I think but, people understand but if DVR. We think about who we think may get best actor. Well, we, we, know, we, we're we mentioned sure who. It's going to be Rami Malek, and we're all disappointed about it. Yeah, because it's not really a performance. It's 
I'm trying to keep my giant teeth in my mouth from not flying it was, away. It was terrible. He's terrible. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything before, but I... He isn't. He's on the show, Mr. Robot. You know what? We actually saw. You know, you have you. We actually saw a movie with him together at the Draft House. You've probably forgotten about this. The day we saw, we saw two movies. We saw this documentary about Julian Assange, and then before that, we saw a movie with him in it. It was called Buster's Mal Heart. Well, okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nobody remembers that movie. If you say so. Yeah, if I say so. (laughs) <laughs> well that shows though how not memorable it was that you yeah. like pff, it's know, gone it's, it's it didn't fun. hold the mental energy yeah, for I you don't have enough brain um left. yeah but no the fact that first reformed all it got was best screenplay nomination and it probably i don't think it will win it'll probably go to the favorite um but no just the which is the favorite oh come on I don't know. We I just talked think. about it earlier in the podcast. Which which one? Rachel no, Weiss. No, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not talking about your fav- favorites. I, I'm not talking about the movie, the favorite. I'm talking about what's what is in the world that they think is going to win best picture. Oh, 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 oh! I see that. Yeah. Um, okay. What I think will win, I actually made a pick of uh, Green Book. Vomit. Oh. No, I don't want it to yeah, win. Yeah, but that's what I think will win. Yeah. What I want to win is either Roma or Black Klansman. Uh, but Green Book, will that'll probably be where the... Roma, I think, will split too many of the Oscar voters who look at Netflix as not real cinema. Um, Corey and I, we actually read this article in uh, the paper, in the paper, the Hollywood Reporter. They publish these things called anonymous Oscar ballots, where they actually show, you know, they don't have a name, but they show what a person writing their ballots in, they write lots of notes. And this one guy was writing about Roma and said, uh, this is like the most uh, expensive home movie ever made. It's, you know, and he was like, I want to award, you know, the Oscars are about awarding movies so that people go out to see them. We don't want to award a movie that is, you know, a Netflix movie that someone watches at home. Wow. That's, that's bad. It was pretty bad reasoning. Um, But yeah, so that's, do you think that's an accurate? What would you think, Corey, about Best Picture? I think it's a more open race than is typically the case. I yeah, feel it like. was very hard for me to choose. But yeah, I think it'll probably be Green Book. And not so much because people love Green Book, but because none of the other movies have a sufficient like. There's been some talk that Black Panther could, but I think a lot of people look and just say, oh, it's just another uh, comic, blah, book movie. comic book movie. I mean, obviously, we are rooting for any movie besides Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody, which are both trash. Yes. I have seen neither of these movies, and yet I know they're trash. They're trash. Yeah. Having but... seen both of these movies. The, wor- the worst part with Bohemian Rhapsody for me was also just being in a theater where sometimes if you see a movie that you're not, that you don't enjoy, and there are other people around you who are really enjoying it. And, like, there were people near the end who were, like, singing along. And I was like, oh, shut up. I am that, not. That was me at bad times at the El Royale. Okay, which yeah. It wasn't on anybody's list. It was, an honor, it was an honorable mention for it's, me. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely that, which is really, will, will, would be in my top ten list. Yeah. And that's a movie where I couldn't sit still. 
I love that movie. That had a great, yeah, a great soundtrack. That was just a really... A great story. Well, it was just so pulpy. It was so, just a great ensemble. Every actor was totally on point. Chris Hemsworth in that. It was just, just amazing. Yeah. Um, actually, before we get to First Reform, just uh, really quickly, any other honorable mentions? Um, movies that didn't make your list? I would say movies in my honorable mentions would be... Aside from Black Panther. Well, Black Panther, that. which just barely missed my list. A Simple Favor, which I thought was going to be on my top ten list mm-hmm. for um, most of the year. Um, a Sap Pick. You're going to hate me for this. Love, Simon. No, I, I get it. I get Love, Simon. I, I I love this movie, Love, Simon. It is so sweet and so... <laughs> it, was, it was it was it was fun. I mean, I did, I did not feel like I wasted my, you know, movie pass past that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's a it good really movie. Felt, it felt very I, immature. It. It, really I think, felt, it felt like it should be an after school. Well, once you I get, would put well, annihilation on my honorable mentions. Yeah. Well, once you get past with with, I just felt like with with Love Simon. Once you get past the you know the fact that the kid's gay. Oh, it's a totally conventional film. It's just I'm a sad. What can I say? All right, because uh, uh, I, I just think want they, they had these things when you were growing up. Where they, they would have after, after school specials. Yeah, right. of okay. course. Well, that's what I. Yeah. that's how I felt about it. It was a little it bit. Was, it was a good after school special. Yeah. Um, so, oh, Won't You Be My Neighbor would be on my honorable mention yeah. list as well. And Hereditary would be on my honorable Her- mention Hereditary, Isle of Dogs would be on my list. A movie that we, I think all of us really enjoyed that nobody's brought up, Three Identical Strangers. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was really good. That, I'm, that got snubbed, I, I think. I saw that in twice the, in the theater. That, I think, got snubbed in and the documentary category. then I watched it again on category. TV. Yeah. Yeah, Three Identical Strangers was excellent. Uh, just a couple other movies. Mid nineties, I really enjoyed. Yeah. I did not see that. Yeah, I so had Unsane in my yeah. list. I had the okay. writer. You remember the writer, Mom? Remind me. It's about the guy who uh, is taking care of the horse. Oh, oh, I thought you said writer, as in writing. No, no, R I D E R. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, yes. I do remember that. That was yeah. that was a very interesting. That movie. also just barely missed uh, my list. Uh, in the way that how Corey picked Love Simon as a sentimental, a little bit of a pick. For me, that movie this year was The Old Man and the Gun. I, I really loved that movie. <laughs> oh, the face you just made. Thank you, Mom. That's why you're on this podcast. So I could see that when I said the name of that movie. <laughs> um, oh, and one more movie I want to mention, uh, Shirkers, which is a documentary on Netflix that I, I highly, highly recommend that. Um, Did you put it on my list? I'll I'll put I'll remember to put it on your list. That's shirk like S H I R. Yeah, that's how I spelled it. Um, All right, now let's talk a little about First Reformed. Um, Why is why we love this movie so much? It had everything. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's the most twenty. It has among like we talk about all these movies that have like real issues. This has, to me, the most crucial issue, which is the environment. And, yeah, it's... What, it, it, what's interesting, too, is that this movie is... Or I in, should say, fake climate. <laughs> fake we need some climate. global warming! Fake global warming. Right. You know, look at how cold it is today. Look at Amy Klobuchar I'm making carrying, her announcement. I'm carrying the snowball into the Senate. 
<laughs> What's he doing there? And and look, it's not it's not even melting. Oh my god. Uh, all right. <laughs> all right, yeah, but it's it's just so uh, he takes Bergman and refashions it for 21st century. So yeah, and this movie not a barrel of laughs. No, that's no. dark. It's dark. It's a very it's dark film, for, but, for, but it was. it's about Ethan Hawke is having. He's amazing. He's absolutely spectacular, and he's been dealt a pretty rough hand of cards in life. His child has died. Um, he went to a, was it Iraq or Afghanistan? Yeah, Iraq. Okay, so his son died in the Iraq War. Um, his marriage broke up. After the stress of losing their child, he has serious health problems. The uh, the church that he works at, that he's a minister to, is kind of dying. And, and, and they treat him like, basically, like he's just a caretaker. And this young woman, played by Amanda Siegfried, comes to him for spiritual guidance because... Her husband is so disturbed he's by... He's an eco-terrorist. Yeah, he's an eco-terrorist who's incredibly disturbed by the coming apocalypse that is global warming. And, and the movie basically follows him trying and mostly failing to put out these various fires and to wrestle with these kind of existential questions. Yeah, yeah. It's... He is really just tapping into this wholly emotional character and it's you know a very dark person but i feel like someone like him helps to bring some needed humanity to that movie because i have to think that um like this maybe on the page that character seemed maybe he could have been seemed like he was whiny maybe <laughs> or like oh just all right get over it or something but but the performance and the direction really make it completely cohesive. I felt. Um, I also really liked uh, the his boss Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah. Who's uh, like he he that was an interesting character because he who thought he been, was a real actor. I didn't know that he's a real actor, and he's he comes the closest to being like the comic relief. But it's almost just by nature of him just being like a regular person in the midst of all of this anguish and inner pain that like he might crack like the tiniest joke and it feels like, Oh, we've had a breather. <laughs> and yeah, his scenes are really well done. Um, there are a couple of just, it, there are a couple of moments where he, it's not a lot of fun. No, it's not a lot of fun. No, he's, it's shot in a very stark way, too. Like, the way that it's presented, it's like the camera doesn't move until he and... There's, like, this one moment where he and Amanda Seyfried try to become close together, and then it, it, it takes on this poetic moment where the two of them are just, like, flying over, like, waste and... Um, it gets very psychedelic. It gets a little psychedelic for a minute, and then there's that ending... Which I, <laughs> I think uh, when that movie ended, now, that's not why you gotta see. Still, you still have to go see movies in theaters because seeing that in a the theater and feeling everybody just go, what? Is that the end? <laughs> that was just 
I love that feeling when you're seeing a movie with other people and you have that collective like, whoa, 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 what? Because <laughs> watching it at home, you might have that by yourself, but it's not the same thing as collective feeling like you've witnessed something profound, but you can't articulate it. Like that's the end of that movie. Like, I want to just quickly run through... Uh... Foreign films? Oh, yeah, yeah, please. Um, yeah, because there was a movie that you, uh, you you said that you just saw today that you wanted to, to mention, uh, which is nominated for the Foreign Film Oscar. Never Look Away. Never Look Away by the director Florian von D D Densmark or something. Well, from The Lives of Others. Yeah, director of The Lives was, of Others. Which was maybe my favorite movie of all time. Wow. Um. And I have it as my screen saver. <laughs> yes, the, the marquee for the Rialto in Ridgefield Park. And this movie truly it left me, I don't want to tell you too much about it, but it left me breathless. Wow. You know, and, and, and of course, I mean, it hit all of my key things. You know, we got, you got your Nazis. It's also in the world of art, too, right? You deal, yeah, you're dealing with art, Nazis, communist, you know, Eastern communist, uh, so the Soviet mentality in the mm -hmm. countries in that block and it, it was just it was wonderfully done it was beautifully shot as well as Roma mm. um, and this, the story was amazing it was at least I mean the ending gave reminded me a little bit of having that uplifted feeling that you had at, at the end of the lives of others oh yeah yeah um, and so that that would that's my favorite foreign film followed by the one that I have trouble pronouncing is it Capernaum, Cap which is also Cap nominated. Okay, that would be fine. Which I also didn't see. Which would then be Capernaum, which would be my number two. I like that I actually saw somebody in my movie site that I'm on. They saw Never Look Away and they said both epic in scope and the amount of bare asses it manages to put on screen in 180 <laughs> minutes. Not really. <laughs> No. All right. That's just totally so, off base. Okay. Well, Capernaum, though, is uh, also My quite second. good. So, yeah, first is that, is uh, that one, then second Capernaum. So, actually, no. Shoplifters. Shoplifters would be number three, which is why I think I was saying Roma mm -hmm. isn't even in my first. Wow, yeah. Clump of foreign films. So, that really, I would have to say then Roma would have to come in at. Actually, maybe four or five because there's also mm. Cold War. Yeah, so the Cold War, which I liked a lot too. I, I did. Cold, it didn't wind up on my list, but at, at the bottom I, of my list would be Cold War Roma. But, but but that still means they're really good movies. They're amazing. All all five are amazing movies. Yeah. Are, are they five up for awards in the foreign film category? Okay. Those are the five. Oh, those are the five. Yeah. Okay, so that would be. You know, in case anybody's interested in, in, That's my, fine. in, in my list. No, I'm interested um, because I didn't see two of those movies. Any, and the fact that you say that you those win. two are above all the others is really saying something. Because we saw because when we saw Cold War together a few weeks ago, I almost thought for a moment you thought that was your favorite. It was, you know, it was through the year as I saw foreign films. Each time I went to one, it became my new favorite. Yeah, and there were other ones that, again, you which, saw that I didn't which even... Which culminated today with Never Look Away. Yeah. Having, just being, a certain, you know, just past them all. They, but they, but every, each time I went to one, I said, oh, this is my favorite one. Mm. 
And now, of course, who knows? Maybe if something came out tomorrow and I saw something else, I, I could, you know, that might get kicked off the number yeah. one spot. Right. But that's how it. That's how the year ends for me. No, that's fascinating. Before we sign off, yes, do you want to just? If anyone's actually listened to this entire thing, do you just want to really quickly restate your list from 1 to 10? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, yeah. So, You'll do your list from 1 to 10, not like in reverse order, but from 1 to 10, okay. and then I'll do my list. That's a great idea. And then we'll start. All right, so number one, Battle of Buster Scruggs. Number two, First Reformed. Number three, Roma. Number four, If Beale Street Could Talk. Number five, Shoplifters. Number six, Annihilation. Number seven, Widows. Number eight, Blind Spotting. Number nine, Spider Man to the Spire Verse. Number ten, The Favorite. Okay, that's your top ten. My top ten. Number one, Blind Spotting. <laughs> number two, First Reformed. Number three, Unsane. Number four, The Wife. Number five, Black Klansman. Number six, Eighth Grade. Number seven, The Favorite. Number eight, Widows. Number nine, can you ever forgive me? Number ten, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yay! And that is our top ten lists. Thank, thank you for inviting me. No, I, thank you so much for for having you on. I feel like this has uh, been an especially special episode, not just because you gave me life. <laughs> it's like I was saying to Corey before we came up here. And Corey gave I, me life. <laughs> well, I no, you gave me life, and then I gave you a podcast and appearance. Then you gave me Corey. There you go. Yes. So, no, thank you for, for coming on. I I was thinking about doing this for a while, and I first wasn't sure what you were going to say. Um, you never know. It's, yeah, it's exactly. A, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, it's a crapshoot. But I think this turned out pretty well, and I'm, I'm glad that everybody was listening uh, uh, to this so far. Um, if you have any thoughts about your own top tens of the year uh, or any movies that we didn't mention, uh, please you know, as always, email us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Wages of Cinema, Facebook, Wages of Cinema Podcast, and so on. Um, and uh, I'd ask where everybody else could be found, but uh, I don't think any of us have any other blogs or anything like that. Um, so well, thank you again, Mom. I really loved having you on here. And... Uh, hope you. Being with the two of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, until uh, we we'll hope you watch, watch the Oscars and uh, have some good riffs and things to say about it. It's probably going to be a shit show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it always is. Yeah. Uh, so until next time, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And the wages of cinema is death. Hugs. All right. Good night. Street.